This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agopymatch.com. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions on the podcast and online. If you're not already following me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Matchmaker Maria. And while you're at it, follow this podcast, Ask a Matchmaker. This way you get notified whenever a new episode drops. It's usually every Wednesday. Uh, and uh, I'll see you every week. This week's guest is Kimberly Beam. Kimberly Beam is the CEO of Marriage Helper and the host of her own podcast. It starts with attraction. She enjoys researching the ways that attraction affects people personally and the relationships that they hold dear. She's currently working on her PhD in psychology. Kim, Kim, Kimberly, how do, how do your friends call you? Kimberly. Kimberly. Kimberly, good. welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thank you, Maria. I'm glad to be here. You never hear Kimberly's. It's always Kim's. I love that. I know it is. And I really don't like the name Kim, (laughs) but people tend to just shorten it. I mean, it's fine, right? We do that. But what really gets me is when people ask me, do you prefer Kim or Kimberly? I say Kimberly and then they call me. No, that's, now that's just disrespectful. You know, what's funny is whenever I think of like the whole name Kimberly, I immediately think of, I don't know why, is that her name? But I think of like the pink Power Ranger. Yes, her name was Kimberly. It was like a full Kimberly, right? Like I'm like, okay. And you're wearing pink. So, wow. That's right. Throwback. Doppelganger for sure. So, you know, you've got this, tell me a little bit more about Marriage Helper. Sure, absolutely. So Marriage Helper actually began 23 years ago. So I'm the CEO, but I was not the original founder and starter. Okay. But I can tell you how it happened. So the founder, his name is Dr. Joe Beam. You might recognize a, a similar last name, but it was in the 1980s that he actually, he was married. He had two kids at that time. I was not one of them. And he divorced his wife left her for another woman and they were divorced for three years. And during those three years, he became an alcoholic addicted to pain medicines and actually ended up bankrupt and homeless living out of his car. And, um, he woke up one day. It wasn't literally a waking up one day, but there was a series of events and things that happened, including him ending up in the ER and being told he wasn't going to make it through the night that he was going to die that he realized this is not the life that he thought was going to happen on the other side of divorce. And so he actually went back to his ex-wife and asked if she would take him back. And everyone in her life told her not to do it. But she believed that he was a good person who had done many bad things, but it was worth trying to see if they could put it back together. And they did. So as a celebration of their remarriage, their second marriage, they had a third daughter, who is me, and they also ended up saying, we want to do something to help people not have to experience the pain that we went through from our separation and our divorce. And so in 1999, 
my dad created this three-day workshop, our Marriage Helper Workshop, which has now been around for over 23 years, and it has over a 70% success rate at saving marriages. Wow. And at what point do people come to Marriage Helper? A lot of times, a lot of the people we're currently seeing, it is this crisis situation. So there is either a spouse who's filed for divorce, a lot of affairs. We deal with a lot of affair issues. So either my spouse is having an affair or I'm having an affair and I don't know if I want to stay in my marriage. That's the majority of issues. Either they're separated, they're getting a divorce or an affair Are is going people on. coming by themselves or is it like couples mm -hmm. coming to Marriage Helper? Yeah, we, we serve both. So we have at first, I mean, back in 1999, when the workshop was created, it was for couples and our couples workshop is what holds the 70% success rate. And so that's really what we're known for internationally. And that's what, so that's what everyone wants to do. But of course you can't drag your spouse to right. it. And so we ended up over the years creating a kind of a second pathway for what we call the standing spouse. So the one who wants to save the marriage. And so we have a plethora of courses. We have a workshop for the standing spouse as well. Uh, so we have, we have ways to serve them until they're able to uh, kind of get their spouse to come back home and willing to work on things. Do you think like when someone comes by themselves, is there, I remember reading some study and I feel like I talked about this with a couples therapist a few weeks ago, but I remember reading a study about how like if women want coaching in their marriage in a heterosexual relationship and the man isn't interested just yet or doesn't think that there's a problem. But then mm. if a man decides like after, like, let's say that now there's a dilution, dissolution of marriage. Wow. I can't say that word. And then the guy's like, okay, now let's go to couples therapy that the rate of divorce is pretty like if the, if, if the guy has to finally come to get around to it, it's already too late. Is that mm. accurate? Like, do you see that on your end? Like when I, I think about those standalone couples, right? How many of them are women? How many of them are men? And then what mm -hmm. is the success mm -hmm. of those standalone people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So we have from our audience, it really is 50, 50 okay. in terms of there's equal men and okay. women who are coming to us as the one wanting to save the marriage. But I think that the study you're refer so I don't know the exact study you're referring to, but what, what I've read and seen is there tends to be that when a woman has decided has finally gotten to the point where she says, I want out yeah. that it's more difficult for her to change her mind because it is likely that she has been for years trying to get right. That's exactly the study that's you're saying it better yeah. than I am, but that's what I'm referring to. Right. To, yes. And so to that other point, then typically if the husband's been, what's the deaf, like what the, what's the opposite of blind? If they've been deaf to it, then then by the time they're like, oh no, she's leaving. Right. Like she's filed for divorce or she wants out. That's when the wife's like, you're not really listening. Right. However, but we've seen, so that's what the study said. However, we have seen equal success for both. Okay. All right. And what is the most popular reason? I mean, it's funny. I just had Dr. Terry Orbeck on who was like, we were going, you know, she did the study on, 
happy marriages, like, you know, the NIH had, um, you know, funded the study. And it was interesting how, like, you know, age was a factor of, like, how many people would, you know, how much the divorce rate was based on your age, like, when you decided to get married, Mm -hmm. and also how much financial, what was the word you used? It was a financial stress or some other word, but nonetheless, like something like with financial stress, how, what kind of impact that has on a relationship. And so, you know, it's like funny, like I hear you speaking and I think, oh, it's probably people cheating, but there's also other things that could be taking place. What do you see as reasons that people would be like, okay, I, I need your help, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to present this in two in two different ways. So there's the first, which is the more research-based answer. If we look at what Dr. John Gottman has studied as the top three reasons marriages end, it's going to be because they don't feel, the person doesn't feel liked, loved, or respected. Everything else is a symptom of that in some way, even affairs. Although that's a pretty large presenting symptom, right? Like you're involved with another person. Therefore, I really don't feel like to love to respect it. But some of these other presenting symptoms, the biggest one we're going to see is affairs. The second biggest right up there with it is going to be I'm controlled. You're controlling me. You want me to be, act, look, do a certain way. And I don't feel like you fundamentally accept me for who I am without me having to change. I feel like... That is so many couples without them even realizing how much control exists. Oh, I'll give you a really mm-hmm. personal, uh, a personal example. I was recently speaking with someone, and they were telling me how, you know, they're on their own, you know, weight reduction journey. Right? They've been mm-hmm. reducing their weight over the last year, and their partner said to them, "I don't think our marriage is going to last if you lose more weight." And for the first time ever, she was like, oh my God, like weight has been a control factor here. He felt that if I'm overweight, um, then I would be with him. I won't think he, Hmm. now he considers her like, you know, her weight loss that I guess she looks better in his eyes. I don't know, but he thinks now she can do better. Even though she had no intentions of ever leaving the marriage, she's happy. This is now what she's hearing from her partner. And I was like, at first I was like shocked, but then in pawn telling other people this, they were like, no, yo, that happens. And I'm like, what? That's a form of physical control and emotional control. And do you, do you see this as well? Do you see like, what kind of control do you see? Just like financial or like time spent time management, or do you see like other aspects of control? Yeah. So it could be the, it could be finances, but I mean, it could even just be how they think, like what they value, how they vote, right? Like all of that, especially in the past year or two has become even more of a, of an issue of if you don't align with me, if you don't believe exactly what I believe about politics and health policy and blah, 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 then you need to change. Like you need to change your way of thinking. And, and even to, you know, well, what about, so even before the past two years, um, we saw a lot of, a lot of women specifically in this situation who their husbands didn't want them to work. So we worked with one couple, for example, who the husband said, I don't want you to have a job. You need to be, you just need to be a stay at home mom. You just need to focus on 
raising the kids, but the woman wanted to work. But she was like, well, I guess if he's working so much to provide me this lifestyle, then I shouldn't work. I should just do what he wants me to do. I should just do these things. And now they've been married 20-ish, 21 years, and she's saying, I wish I had a way, I wish I had more to my life than this. I wish, because she's lost her a identity. Total identity loss. It's all been wrapped up. Around in, kids. In her husband. And kids, right? Like, and kids. I, I yeah. find it's like funny. I love talking to people who talk, like, I love talking to couples therapists and, you know, people like you, Kimberly, who work with, you know, couples because I hear the end of it, right? Like, when someone comes to me, when a divorced person comes to me, I hear, I hear their version of events. But I never get right. to hear like, well, what instigated this or what started this? And yeah. it's like, sometimes I see, um, I'll talk to some women, not so much anymore because there's, those people are, tend to age out now. But um, like in the sense that, uh, you know, Gen X uh, and uh, the, the, these this issue is less now because they've, their kids are older. But I remember like five or six years ago, we would meet so many women in their divorce who were like, you know, just like you said, like, oh, I've been, you know, I was tasked to be the stay-at-home mom. But then once my kids went to first grade, it is a loss of identity because your whole life has wrapped around these kids. And now what am I doing? And um, I'm not saying that someone shouldn't shouldn't be a stay-at-home mom. Please don't. Anyone listening, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Right. I think I, I could not do it. Uh, that is so hard. Um but I can understand the difficulties of transition when the people that you are parenting all day now go mm -hmm. somewhere else for a third of that day. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, fill in whatever, whatever you want with it. Cause it could, it could, e it could as easily be a wife whose husband wants to leave his job and become an entrepreneur. Right. And the wife is like, no, no, right? It's the it's a sense of you don't support me. You don't you don't support what I want to do or my dreams or my vision and there's not an area for compromise. Instead it's a you can't do that or if you do that, I'm going to do something else. It's a way of controlling and the other side of if they don't do what you want them to do, there's a punishment involved. So that is that's what we're talking about here. So if a woman's if a woman says, "But I want to be a stay-at-home right. mom," like that's what I want to do. Great, awesome. that's awesome. And my husband supports me. Awesome. Um, but it's for either gender. The one who's like, "But I want to do something else," whatever that something else is, and the other spouse is saying, "You can't." Right. That's control. Right. Wow. Okay. I never thought of it that way. Um, but that's like, that's a lot of relationships. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, it's like that. Oh, you just like blew my mind. Now I'm thinking about my parents. <laughs> so I'm trying to even think now of, of my relationship. So I know that when, especially when my husband and I first got married and I didn't understand when we were dating, he, that he was an introvert. Uh because we dated long distance and we only saw each other every other weekend. So the time we were together, he was a super extrovert, yeah. right? Like we would go out and do all these things. But then when we got married and we were living together and he needed this alone time, I was yeah. like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And so I tried to control him with that. It was like, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You're wrong for wanting that. 
And so you can see how that would be a terrible downward spiral. And it was until we, until we finally, you know, fix things. How did you fix it? I have, I have, I have my own solution for this too, but I'd love to hear your solution. How did you fix this? Are you extroverted? First of all, I, yes, but I've become more of an introvert over 11 years of marriage. But yes. So back then I was very, very extroverted. How did I fix it? I, it started with me accepting this is not him being broken right. like this is not something wrong with him this is who he is right that's yeah acceptance and acknowledgement can really go a long way here acceptance and acknowledgement and then giving him the time because at first for the first several months i just didn't even want to give him right. the time it because to me it felt like he did not love yeah. me like he was trying to get away from me or i had done something to cause this but when I finally realized, you know what, if I give him that time that he needs and I don't push it and I don't, you know, whine about it and all those things, then he actually is more able to connect with me better and and be more willing to go and try new things with me or go explore, you know, over the weekends and, and to new cities and things like that. So that's how we handled it. You know, I'm also married to an introvert and I'm the most extroverted person on the planet. I got to say the pandemic has been like really hard. on. I didn't realize how hard it was on me until like, I think four months ago. Um, uh, I went out for my birthday with some friends and the high that I felt when I came home, I mm. couldn't sleep until three in the morning. I was like, oh my God, I miss this about me. Like I miss, cause you know, it's different to see people over yeah. zoom and it's like a whole right. other experience to just like be out and talk to new people. And I was just like, oh my God. So yeah. I told my husband after I was like, you got to let me fly. You got to let me do things. Like I, I need this. And, and he gets it. He gets it. But when we first started dating, I also started my husband, my husband and I, we had a long distance relationship for a very long time. I knew he was introverted from day one. Like he was able to express that immediately and you know, whatever. But, um, one of the things that I learned so that we wouldn't get frustrated with each other. And I learned this very quickly and it's been such a, such a great solutions for anyone who's listening that might be in a relationship that's like extroversion, introversion is having a conversation before going to an event, which is like, mm-hmm. what are your expectations for this event? So anytime we go to a wedding yeah. or a baptism or some party, mm-hmm. we'll say, we'll have a conversation. Like what time are we leaving? This way, mm-hmm. when we get to an event, like we had gone to this one event and, um, you know, we, it was like a, kind of, not like a, it was kind of like a networking event, but, uh, you know, uh, we mingled around together for the first hour. Then I parked them mm-hmm. in some corner with some mutual friends. Then I did my little mingling hour for like 90 minutes. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we had said, we're going to leave at, you know, 9 PM. Once it got to 9 PM, it's like, okay, let's go. Like, there's no extra discussion. There's not me saying, oh, we need to stay 10 minutes. Like. This was the expectation. Yeah. Now we get to leave. We, I love doing this for weddings too. Like what, what time are we mm-hmm. leaving this wedding? That way it's like, you know, we, are, we have to acknowledge what we both need from this. And you know, right. the set expectation Smart. is there. It's not like, oh, I'm still having fun. We have to stay. No, no, we, we talked about this. So yep. uh, that, that helped a lot. And like you said, acknowledging the other person being an introvert just as much as they have to listen, Kimberly, I'm sure your husband too. He has to acknowledge that you're an extrovert too. Right. And you know, maybe you supplement that with going out with friends once a week or having a hobby that's outside of your marriage. Um, that gives you that room to do that. Another thing that I like to do, I don't know if this is extrovert versus introvert, 
but I'm huge into exploring. I just love going new places, trying new things. And so that's even part of our compromise. It's like, okay, but every year we're going to go on a vacation together, just the two of us, to somewhere we've never been before, love right? That. So there's these other things that we've mutually agreed to. And now it's, you know, 11 years we've been doing it. So it's working I love that. better. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about Love Path. Yeah, great. So there is a process to falling in love. And at Marriage Helper, we call that process the love path. And if you follow the process, then you'll fall in love. But if you actually stop following the process, because it's not a one and done, then you can fall out of love, even if you don't mean to. So wait, is this so in marriage or in a relationship? Or is this like in a relationship. before when you're single? Yeah, it starts when you begin dating. Okay, all right. Tell me more. Yes. Tell you more. So the first step of the love path is attraction. But there's four areas of attraction. We call it, uh, it's, so it's the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, which we call the pies of attraction. And it gives more of this holistic framework to really what people are attracted to. And I'll break, them, I'll break each of them down pretty quickly. So the P is physical attraction. It does have to do with looks, but more than looks, it also has to do with how a person feels about themselves physically. Mm. So am I, how is my energy levels? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I in a healthy you know, range and activity level for my body. Not necessarily, am I good looking enough to be on the cover of a magazine, right? Like that's unrealistic. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I the most attractive that I can be for my age and situation in life? And then do the best we can with that. The I stands for intellectual attraction. Now in a relationship, this is all about, am I with a person or am I a person that other people enjoy talking to. So in a relationship, it's especially when you're dating, this is the part where maybe you've seen the person, you're physically attracted to them, but now do you have anything in common? And you don't want to have everything in common because then they're just a clone mm -hmm. of you. There needs to be just enough difference that there's interest and intrigue and fascination with them. But there does need to be enough shared experiences or shared values or shared hobbies that you have things that you can go off of together, that you can go do together, like travel, like whatever it might be. So intellectual attraction, is this a person that I enjoy talking to? Emotional attraction in a relationship, this is the most important part of attraction. And most people don't even realize that it is a part of attraction. Because emotional attraction is all about, do I evoke emotions within other people that they enjoy feeling? Ooh. So going back to what we were just talking about a minute ago, when, so I'll give you, I'll give you a story here. I had a friend who several years ago was, was dating. She started dating this guy in winter and things were going great. It was all good. Summer comes and they start going to the pool together, to the beach. And he looks at her one day and he says, you know, you'd look a whole lot better if you lost about 15 pounds. Yikes. Uh-huh. Most women are like, I'm going to drop an elbow on him, right? Like, how in the world could he say that to her? But this goes back to he did not evoke an emotion within her that she enjoyed feeling. Because after that, she's like, I'm not good enough. There's nothing I can do that's going to be good enough. And then she began to see this be a pattern in his behavior and things that he said over time. And she didn't want to be in a relationship with him anymore. Right. So emotional attraction is all about 
how am I evoking emotions within others that they enjoy feeling? And then spiritual attraction is about shared beliefs and values. So faith can and is a part of this for people who are people of faith, whatever that faith looks like. But it also just has to do with, do we have similar passions? Do we have similar things we care about that we can align with each other on them? And so those are the four areas of what leads us to be more attracted to one person over another. And it begins at the beginning of a dating process, but it never stops being important even well after you've, you've been married. It's so interesting, the similarities in the titles, but how different you're evaluating. Like, so I have a program called the Agape Intensive and it talks a lot about, it revolves around chemistry, compatibility, and search. And our compatibility pillars include all four of those. We have a five, the fifth one being financial, but we are evaluating like real, you know, you're talking about attraction from the lens of attraction, which is so different to like what I'm evaluating is in terms of like long-term compatibility. And I think that is like so mm. interesting to, you know, the, the, how different the lens is. I a hundred percent agree with it, but, mm -hmm. um, but it, I just find it really fascinating how we can, we can have the same things and just view them from these different lenses for the overall person. Cause so much of what you just described is not necessarily about compatibility, but it's about like, do I admire you as much as you admire me? Do I respect you as much yeah. as you respect me? Um, do I like yeah. you as much as you like me? Not like, okay, if we have certain things, will this go the distance? There are plenty of people who are mm. perfect on paper, but when you meet them, you're just not, mm. that's it. You're not attracted. And I think sure. that's what, I think that's what you're describing, which I think is really fantastic. And so you, you teach these four steps or would, or would these be considered steps then or parts? Well, these are the four parts of attraction, okay. which is just step one. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So this is step one <laughs> of four. This is step one of four. So all of that is step one of four. So attraction is what leads us to want to move closer to another person. When we see those four areas and we're like, you know what? I align. I see things I like, so on and so forth. Then it moves into step two of the love path, which is acceptance. And in this stage, it is basically at its core, is this a person that I can accept them for as they are without them having to change, even if they never change? So this goes back a little bit to the conversation we had a minute ago on control. Mm. It's really asking that question, flaws and all, differences and all, shady past and all, is this still a person I can accept for who they are? even if they were to never change, knowing that the goal isn't that, that people never change. But the question is, can I treat them with unconditional love as if they were never going to change? Dating them in the present instead of the potential. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you might see this in the, in the side of things that you are more in, but a lot of people will enter into, or they'll think about entering into a marriage thinking, but they'll change right. like this person will change that bad behavior. It'll get better once they're married. No, if you can't accept it about them now, don't assume it's going to get better after you're married. It'll probably going to get worse. Um, what's the third step? The third step from there goes into attachment and attachment is, will this person be there for me 
no matter what. Will they be there for me physically when I need them? Will they be there for me to talk to, to comfort me, to, to guide me, to just let me vent to them? Will this person drop whatever they're doing and come to me when I need them to? And so attachment, as you've probably done research on or had people on your podcast about, it's, it's, it's been around like attachment. Oh, we talk about it all the time. We talk everyone on my forever. everyone who's listening to this podcast knows exactly what attachment is, but please of course summarize. Well, it's become it's become the new like psychological fad, right? And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, but it's always been important. It's always been so important in relationships Absolutely. and it's this felt security that people are looking for. And so of course that's important in a marriage and it really just boils down to will you be there for me? Yeah. And it's not, will you be there for me and like the good stuff, but like so much of life has the messy stuff. Like, you know, your kids might get sick or you lose your job or, you know, one day your parent will die. Like, where are you in yeah. this circumstance of life, uh, as you know, right. in our relationship? Right. Absolutely. Right. And even doing the hard things, to be there for them. So this isn't a marriage example, but it paints a, a, a good picture of, of what it's like. So my husband and I have adopted our children. So we adopted a, a, when we adopted them, they were four and two, they're from India. And our two-year-old son at that time had been in an orphanage from, from birth and had not been held much. Oh, wow. And he was very wary, especially of women. So he did not like me. And I remember the first, the first two weeks we, we had them, we were still in India and he would have these night terrors and I would get up, I would go over, I would, you know, pick him up and hold him. And he would just be pushing me away because he didn't want, he didn't want to be held. He, in his heart, like in his spirit, he wanted to be held, but in his, he didn't know how to handle that reaction. And so when we got home and he, he also would never look me in the eye. He would not look me in the eye. And if you study attachment, especially with kids oh, well, and avoidance children, or anxious avoidance here, right? He was completely avoidant, right. not, not even anxious wow. avoidant. He was hundred percent avoidant. And so that, and that's a huge step. Like the ability for a child to look you in the eye is a big first step or it's not, it's not even the first one, but it's a big step in attachment. And so I remember, I would, to just get him to look me in the eye, I would feed him and I would just hold his food. Like I'd take Cheerios and I would just hold them in front of my eyes. And I would wait until he looked at me and then I would give them to him so he could see, I am willing to meet your needs. I am willing to feed, I am giving you this food. I am here Where did you learn to do so that, Kimberly? Did someone it. tell you to do this? We read a book before we we went to India called the connected child, which is specifically about adoption and attachment within adoption. Oh, wow. And in that book, it talked about how, about attachment disorders and about the, the need to do what you could to gently touch and look at your child for them to build attachment towards you. So when I saw he wasn't looking at me, I, I remembered that and I just, you know, said, I'm going to feed you, but I'm going to feed you by like holding the food in front of my face until you can look at me. 
And then he began to look at me and then he began to slowly mimic facial expressions, which is the next part. And so all of this just paints the picture of like sometimes in order to be there for the people in our lives, we also have to do the hard things. That's really tough. And I, I just think it's really great that you had those resources and that you were able to utilize those, the things that you learned. Um, how is your, if you don't mind me asking, how is your son now? How many years has it been now? And how is he now? Yes. Last month was three years that they've been home, which is amazing. And so honestly, he, so he's amazing. I'm going to answer the question two different ways. He, uh, he has attached very well. Both of our kids have, both my daughter and my son. They have attached very well. So he loves cuddles. He's the happiest kid in the world. Whereas when we got him from the orphanage, he, I, we didn't see him smile for weeks. I mean, he was just bitter. Um, you would never know it. You would never know it seeing him now. Now, he's also a five-year-old boy. So he is, uh, what's the word? Headstrong? Yeah. Stubborn. He's extremely stubborn. <laughs> extremely stubborn. And but did you have any, um, did you experience similar with your daughter? Mm. She was the preoccupied attachment style. So, she, so exact opposite. She was the one who was, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll be wherever you want me to be. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Just love me. Don't leave the room. And yeah, like, look at me. I'm helping. I'm doing things like be with me, stay with me. So she was exactly the opposite. Wow. Well, I'm really happy to hear that your kids are thriving. They're doing That's very awesome. well. Thank you. So what is the fourth step? Oh, and the fourth one, yes, is aspiration. So this is all about creating a shared vision for the future of your marriage. So many times, and you'll get this a lot with, with what you do in matchmaking, a lot of, when people date, when people date, most of the time they're looking towards sure. marriage. That's their goal. They're wanting to get married. And so you're dating, then you get engaged. Once you're engaged, you have this built-in aspiration, so to say, of the wedding, the marriage. After you get married, you have a built-in aspiration many times of maybe the first house or the first job or the first kid. But after those things happen, quickly we stop dreaming together. There's not something that's innately built in there that the couple can begin and continue to look forward to that's going to draw them back together when life tries to pull them apart. So the goal here is what can you intentionally do, whether that's a dream that you're wanting to build for now, like being able to retire in the Swiss Alps that can continue to bring, back, bring you back together, or even something as simple as wanting to go camping together once a month every month of the year. But whatever it is, what is something you can do that you want to do that can bring you back together when life tries to pull you apart? Oh my God, I love that. I absolutely love that. Man, I'm going to force every married person I know now to, like, to, to listen to this. Um, What's your aspiration? You know, it's aspiration. You need you know an aspiration. That's like a big thing though. Like I... <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's, I, 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 you just basically contextualize the seven year itch, right? Cause like so many things happen for a lot of couples in those seven years, right? Many couples have children, many people buy their first house and seven. And then it's like, okay, after those seven years, now what, now what are we doing? It yeah. can't possibly be just shoveling money into our savings account to like pay off our kids student, 
you know, excuse me, university one day, that can't possibly be the aspirational goal. So yeah, I think Kimberly, I think you're totally right. You know, you gotta, I can see where someone could Mm -hmm. use like, if they were doing a timeshare presentation where they use this fourth Mm -hmm. aspect in a slide, because it's like, this will save your marriage. You could look forward to this together every year and go to different locations every year. Like that's the sales pitch, right? And so I think- yeah, I, I could totally see where aspiration. Um, so, when you look at your couples, then the the seventy percent, what do you think they did right that the thirty percent, not necessarily did wrong, but it just didn't work out for that thirty percent. Mm. The biggest difference in the seventy percent is that both of the people were able to catch a vision of how their marriage could be different in the future Mm. and work the path to make that happen. Whereas in the other 30%, there was one of them that didn't see that the, they didn't see the vision. They didn't see that there could be a different future for their marriage and therefore decided to leave. So it's not necessarily going to be, there was something different about the couple or what they did versus didn't do as much as it is what the people in the marriage believed was possible for a different future. Right. Well, Kimberly, this was like really awesome. Where can people learn more about Marriage Helper? Hmm. You can go to marriagehelper.com. We also have a free mini course on there. So for any of the listeners that are married or in a relationship that there's, it's not going well, then it's our How to Get Your Spouse Back mini course. You can get it there. We also have YouTube. So you can go youtube.com slash marriage helper. Tons of videos. And then we have a podcast as well called Relationship Radio. I'm going to include all of these links in the show notes. So if you want to check out uh, all of Kimberly's content and courses, check out those links in the show notes. Kimberly, thank, thank you, you for coming on the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you'd like to be on an upcoming hotline episode, follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria. I post a link there sometimes and we chat then. Until then, you can learn more about what I do or enroll in an upcoming Agape intensive by visiting agapematch.com slash services. Thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.